Hello and welcome to another Bible study in a series which began in March, believe it or not, earlier in the year, just as lockdown was beginning to uh, bite upon us. And when we set out on these talks, uh, I had no idea as to what I might cover in the coming weeks and therefore my choice of subjects has been very random. Uh, and yet a theme has been running through most of them, if not all. And that theme has been the character of God. And so I'd like in the next few talks to draw together some of the loose ends from those talks and to weave them together into a, a tapestry, describing to you, insofar as I can, um, the nature and the character of God. Three professional people were debating whose profession was the oldest and the doctor said well well surgery must be the oldest profession because God created Eve from Adam's ribs and the architect said no no architecture is the oldest profession because God built an orderly world a structured universe out of chaos and the politician said no no he said politics is the oldest religion who do you think made the chaos well, in this series of talks on the character of God, I want to describe to you how God is portrayed to us in the Bible. And of course, God is infinite and this is not going to be an infinite number of talks. There's so much to tell you from the Bible. How does one reduce it to something manageable? And I decided to do it by using the letters of the alphabet. Now, the danger there is it's almost suggesting as if God is a childish subject which can be reduced to the letters of the alphabet. Please don't take me that way. Uh, rather than just throwing 24, 25 or 26 words at you at random about God, I'd rather shape them in some form. And so the shape I'm going to use is the letters of the English alphabet. We cannot apprehend God through our physical senses. We cannot touch God, we cannot see God, we cannot smell God, we cannot hear God, we cannot taste God. Whatever we know about God, we can only know because God has made it known to us. And there are two main ways by which God has done this. Firstly, through creation, which will come to shortly. And secondly, through revelation, which we find in Christ and in the Bible. And all these characteristics of God that we find in the Bible apply to the Father, to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. We're not going to do this academically, just hearing dry facts as in a lecture. We're not going to do it philosophically, juggling intellectual arguments one against another. We're going to do this worshipfully and our keynote will be the ancient prayer. Day by day, O Lord, of thee three things we pray, to see thee more clearly, to love thee more dearly, and to follow thee more nearly day by day. If these talks help you to see God more clearly, then you may love him more dearly and follow him more nearly. So starting then with A, A is for Almighty. God is almighty. It's also called omnipotence. In Genesis 17, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Genesis 18, 
is anything too hard for the Lord? And in Job 42, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. And Jesus said that all things are possible with God. So God is omnipotent. God is almighty. And yet there are some things God cannot do. For example, God cannot create a rock which is so heavy that he can't lift it up. God cannot make two plus two plus two equals 17 and a half. The Bible says there are things God cannot do. He cannot sin. He cannot lie. He cannot tempt us to sin. He cannot change his mind. He cannot deny himself. So God is almighty, yet there are things he cannot do. How do we explain this? Psalm 135 helps. The Lord is great. Our Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heaven and on the earth. That is to say, God is able to do whatever pleases him. God can do whatever God wants to do. God never wants to sin or tell a lie or cause us to sin. God never wants to change his mind or deny himself or defy the laws of logic which control his universe. God can do anything that God wants to do. God is omnipotent. God is almighty. But powerful, mighty people can be intimidating. None of us, I think, would like to have met Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin or Mao Zedong or Pol Pot. But as well as being almighty, God is also beautiful. You would love to see God. We get glimpses of this in scripture. In Exodus chapter 24, Moses with a number of others went up Sinai and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. In Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel looked above the expanse over their heads and there was what looked like a throne of sapphire. And high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire. And that from there down, he looked like fire and brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance round him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down. And I heard the voice of one speaking. Ezekiel fell prone at the beauty of the God or the appearance of the likeness of the glory and the beauty of God that he saw. Daniel, similarly, in chapter seven of his book, looked. And as I looked, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Remember the angels? Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. And then again in Revelation. John hears the voice calling him. Come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. 
and the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, and seated on them were twenty-four elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder. Before the throne seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. Ezekiel, Daniel, John seeming to struggle to find the words to describe the overwhelming beauty of the God that they saw. Visions of indescribable beauty. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist minister of the 19th century, told a story of a, a Christian who went on a cruise down the River Rhine and began to look at the beauty of the, the, the landscapes and, and the mountains and the woods on the banks. And he closed his eyes to the beauty of the scene, lest it divert his mind from God. How absurd. We should be opening our minds to the beauty of creation because in it, we see the beauty of the Lord. Christians should open their eyes to the beauty of the created world. It reflects the beauty of God. A butterfly's wing, a rainbow, a majestic glacier, a snowflake. All different, all beautifully designed. And Christians should open their eyes to man-made beauty as well. Because people are created in the image of God and therefore are capable of creating beautiful things. Art, painting, figure skating, architecture, poetry, music. The arts at their best reflect the beauty of God. When Malcolm Muggeridge wrote a biography of Mother Teresa, he called it something beautiful for God. If God is beautiful then we, like Mother Teresa, should be living beautiful lives. Let us be something beautiful for God. C is for creator. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And all three members of the Godhead were at work in creation. Hebrews 11. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. John chapter 1. The word was God. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing that was made has been made. Psalm 104. When you send your spirit, they are created. Creation is the work of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. The creation is enormous. If you drove a car at 30 miles an hour, it would take you 350 years to reach the sun. If you caught a train going at 60 miles an hour, it would take you 47 million years to reach the next nearest star. Astronomers reckon there are 100 billion galaxies in the universe, each with 100 billion stars. On our planet, a conservative estimate is that there are 10 million species of life all around us. All of this stuff, all of these things, all these living things, all these creatures, all made out of nothing. Hebrews 11, what is seen was not made out of what was visible. God created all things out of nothing. If you want to make a table, you need some wood to start with. 
If you want to design a ring, you need some gold. If you want to throw a pot, you need some clay. We make things out of other things, but God created everything out of nothing. God did not use pre-existing materials to create the universe. He brought the universe into being at his own will and word. Albert Einstein describes the wonders of the universe in this way. The human mind is not capable of grasping the universe. We are like a little child entering a huge library. The walls are covered to the ceilings with books in many different tongues. The child knows that someone must have written these books. It does not know who or how. It does not understand the languages in which they are written. But the child notes a definite plan in the arrangements of the books, a mysterious order which it does not comprehend, but only dimly suspects. Einstein himself there, moving towards a belief in a designing creator. The Bible says we can deduce things about God from the creation. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Romans chapter 1, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. In St Paul's Cathedral, there is a memorial to its architect, Sir Christopher Wren. And on this memorial, it says, if you seek his monument, look around you. And as we look around the creation, we can deduce from it many things about its creator, God. God is so imaginative, intelligent, powerful, creative. He is a great architect, a great engineer, a great mathematician, a wonderful designer, a beautiful painter. If you put together all the computing power of the greatest computers in the world, their intelligence together would not amount to that of a goldfish compared to the intelligence of God. You may have heard of Grinling Gibbons, the great English wood carver, and he has left his work in Chatsworth House and Kettleston Hall, St Paul's Cathedral, Windsor Castle. He always left his mark on a piece of carving, and his mark was a pod of peas. A pod of peas. You always knew it was his work because you could see he'd left his sign behind. And God has left his mark on creation. And that's one reason why we worship, because we see the wonders of God's character in the created world. Wordsworth said, nature imparts to the ear of faith authentic tidings of invisible things. D is for determination. God the Father loved his son so much, he wanted more children. You all know Romans chapter 8, verse 28. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. But look at verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God wanted Jesus to have many more brothers and sisters. God wanted to have more children 
like his son Jesus. One was not enough. God was determined to enlarge his family. And Paul tells us that through foreknowledge and predestination, God chose his new children. Verse 30. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Remember justification? And those he justified, he also glorified. Remember glorification. You were foreknown by God to be his. You were predestined by God to be his. You were chosen by God to be his. You were called by God to be his. And you were justified by God to be his. And one day you will be glorified as one of his resurrected children and you will meet his only begotten son, Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes, God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. God was determined to make you one of his children from before the creation of the world. And that is what he is doing today. God is in the process of saving you. Remember sanctification and preparing you for glory. In the national anthem of heaven, it says, with your blood, you purchased people for God from every tribe and language, people and nation. In other words, the cross of Christ will save people from every tribal group, every linguistic group, every ethnic group and every national group. All of those groups will be represented in the final state, in the ultimate heaven because of the grace of God. God is determined to save you from yourself, from your sin, from your temptations, from your weaknesses, from your selfishness, from your disappointments, from the world and from the evil one. And God is also determined that one day everyone who's ever lived will recognise Jesus as King. Philippians chapter 2. God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God is determined to get you there. You will not fall through the cracks. As we often sing, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Almighty, beautiful, creative, determined. E is for eternal. God has no beginning and no ending. God has no birthday and no death day. Nothing preceded God and nothing outlasts God. Nothing started God off and nothing will finish God off. God does not age or become wiser with experience. Time writes no wrinkle on the brow of the eternal. In Genesis chapter 21, God is called El Olam, God eternal. In Psalm 90, before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Psalm 102. You remain the same and your years will never end. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 
now to the King Eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory for ever and ever. Amen. To God, today is as real as every other day. God has no yesterdays and no tomorrows. Because he has no yesterdays, God cannot forget. Because God has no yesterdays, his memory can never fade. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. And because he has no tomorrows, God is never taken by surprise. And because there are no tomorrows with God, God knows what is going to happen. It's as clear to him what's going to happen tomorrow as it is clear to us what is happening today. So God never enjoys a cup final or an exciting relay race. We humans can only be in one place at one time. God can be in all places at one time. We humans can only be in one moment at one time, but God can be in all moments at one time. I want you to imagine you're on a seat on the mall during a coronation. Imagine that Her Majesty has passed away and Charles has become king and the coronation procession is just leaving Buckingham Palace uh, and you see the beginning of the coronation which would probably be uh, outriders on motorbikes and, and then you would see people in coaches being taken to the Westminster Abbey and then their carriages would start, the old carriages carrying the members of the royal family and then the brigade of guards and the household cavalry and the yeoman of the guard and then the golden coach but you would only be able to see one scene at a time you would see it the procession in bits but if you were able to go aloft into the sky in a police helicopter you would be able to look down upon the coronation procession from the beginning to the end and in one glance you would be able to see the whole procession it would be equally real to you at the starting end and at the finishing end of the procession. And so it is with God. God does not see the universe in a succession of moments. God is not hemmed in by time. God is not the prisoner of time. God, God is not inside time as its guest. He is outside time as its creator. In the beginning, God created time. And in the ending, God will close time down. Jesus said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Almighty, beautiful, creative, determined, eternal. Let me share a hymn with you. My God, how wonderful thou art, thy majesty, how bright, how beautiful thy mercy seat in depths of burning light. How dread are thine eternal years, O everlasting Lord, by prostrate spirits day and night, incessantly adored. O how I fear thee, living God, with deepest, tenderest fears, and worship thee with trembling hope and penitential tears. Yet... I may love thee too, O Lord, almighty as thou art, for thou hast stooped to ask of me 
the love of my poor heart. How wonderful, how beautiful the sight of thee must be, thine endless wisdom, boundless power, and awful purity. May we worship God, see him more clearly, love him more dearly, and follow him more nearly. For his name's sake. Amen.